welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, we are doing session number five, I believe, of our seminary course, I Am Believing God, number six. Well, I am believing God that we are going to get through this. And I mean like with everything I got. I have equal faith right now as what it takes to raise the dead. And I've, I've done both. I've raised the dead and not finished messages. So I know the amount of faith that it takes. So be believing God with me. I believe that you're going to be radically impacted by this because what we're going to talk about is one of those things that we kind of have in our, in our spiritual toolbox and we kind of have it as a one type of tool and it's kind of just out there on the peripheral. Like, yeah, I got that. That's in there somewhere. It's packed down. And I want to, uh, I want to expand this into a much, much better and more applicable way for you to have revelation about this spiritual truth. Spiritual truth. Spiritual truths trump natural truths. If it's true about God, that's more true than anything else that's true. What's true is that you have pain in your body, you might feel like you're sick. What's even more true is by his stripes, you were healed. They're both true. You get to pick which truth you want to live by. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to him, as you come, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight. What's precious to God should be precious to you. You also, like living stones, are being built. You know when? Today. We're building. This is a construction zone. Some of you look like it. You got hard hats on in the spirit. Are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Not just being built into a random structure, but being built into something that God then can use. Both of those are so important. Like God wants to build you just because he wants to build you. Because he wants the best for you. Because he loves you. And he knows that his construction in your life is going to be the best way that you could ever possibly do life. But there's even more than that. But wait. There's more, as Bob says. He wants to not only build you into something that will bless you and benefit you and give you the greatest life ever, but he wants you to be that thing so that he can take you to people that don't have that. So it's not just about being built. It's about being built and also then becoming that royal priesthood that God can use. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if you got a million dollar check from somebody who said, hey, build that garage that you've always wanted to build in your, in your backyard with a lift and with a gun range in the basement Amen. and with 
built-in air compressor, heated floors. <laughs> hey, Steve, build that, build that garage you've always wanted to build. Okay, take the check, cash the check, get the contractor, build the thing, like worked on every facet of it. I know exactly where I want my toolbox for my automotive tools. I know exactly where I want my woodworking tools. I know exactly, I'm that guy, <laughs> sorry. And then get it perfect and never go out there. Never use it. There's a lot of believers that are living that way. Well, I just need to know more. I need to have more revelation. I need to understand more. I need more in me. More, more, more. We have so how many songs? How many songs? God, give me more. God, do more. God, reveal more. And I'm always like, and then what? Like spiritual pack rats. We're hoarding things in the spirit. Like, go give it away. Get a little, give a little. Get a little, give a little. Give a lot, get a lot, give a little. And then, you know, you got overflow and surplus, but man, in and out, in and out, in and out. The Dead Sea is dead because the Jordan River flows into it and doesn't leave. Most people didn't know that about the ontology of Israel. The Dead Sea is dead because living water flows into it and then stays there and never moves. If you want to build a pond that you don't want a bunch of pond scum on, it's water in, water out. If there's no flow, there's stagnation. If there's stagnation, there's death. Being built into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, offering, doing things, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture. See, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never, Godward, be put to shame. To you who believe then, this stone is precious, Jesus. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Things the world throws away are valuable in the kingdom, like you. Many of you have been thrown away by people. You've been rejected by people. And if you ever allow your identity to be determined by those people, you will see yourself as trash. People throw you away because they don't have proper value, not because you don't have proper value. Verse eight, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. We are being built together by the very hands of God. Hebrews chapter 5 is our core subtext for this subset. We have much to say in verse 11 about this, but it is hard to explain because you are dull of hearing, not you. He was writing to people before you. You guys are awesome. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to reteach you the basic principles of God's word. Stokeion is what it is in the Greek. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is still an infant. Inexperienced. Think about that. What defines infancy? It's not their lack of ability. Michael Jordan was a baby once and couldn't jump, couldn't walk, couldn't crawl. And later he became Air Jordan, where we used to just sit, I used to sit in a buddy's camper when I was 16 years old. We would sit in his camper and smoke 14 packs of cigarettes and drink his dad's beer. And if we ran out of his dad's beer, we had to drink his mom's near beer. <sighs> and we would watch the playoffs. And I would be literally mesmerized by Michael Jordan because he'd just be coming down the court, dribbling the ball, getting it, tongue hanging out. And he'd jump, like at the free throw line. And while he was in the air, he would like kind of sit down, take notes, look around, <laughs> check the win. And then he'd like 360 upside down dunk it and make everybody look like fools. He would elevate and decide in the air. That's where that statement came from. I loved that. Infants don't have the ability to elevate and decide in the air. Michael Jordan developed that skill. He was once an infant. What defines infancy is inexperience. Not inability, inexperience. Inexperienced in the message of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained their senses to distinguish good from evil. Notice what we're supposed to be constantly practicing. How to distinguish the good from the evil. Good is a characteristic of God. So good and God are an interchangeable thing. Evil is not God. And there's a lot of things that are evil that don't look evil. Right? Because love is love. That doesn't look evil. It doesn't sound evil. Like, just let people do their own thing. What's wrong with that? What, what's, wrong with, uh, what's wrong with a little gambling? I mean, it's not hurting nobody. It's just extra money. I budgeted for it. I'm not taking it from my family's mouth or something like that. It's not really that evil. Whatever you start to justify, whatever you start to excuse... You have taken away its characteristic of evil. Once it doesn't become evil, the only thing it can be is good, because there's good and evil. There's not something in the middle. So what you eventually do is you end up calling evil good and good evil. Well, my pastor told me that I should, I should live in sexual purity. That's just legalism. Legalism. Because you know legalism is evil. So now you've just called sexual purity evil. This is how this works. 
And we don't realize we're doing this because this is the enemy is a snake. And he slithers in, and you don't know he slithered in, and then he takes his forked tongue and he talks you into stuff that sounds pretty good. There was just a preacher that got in some serious hot water this week because last Sunday he preached a message where he told his granddaughter to, uh, or he told a grandmother that it's okay to go to his grand, his, her lesbian granddaughter's wedding. You're just loving her. You're supporting her. You're believing in her. And he got lambasted. Some of it was just wrong, and, they, and people condemned him and said terrible things about him, which I am not a fan of. But what he said was wrong as well. Marriage is something God invented. You don't go support something that is on its face value, wicked, towards what God intended marriage to be. You can't do it. You just cannot do it. That doesn't mean that you're evil. doesn't mean that you hate people. doesn't mean you're a homophobe. It doesn't mean that your granddaughter needs to be, have her tires slashed and you need to curse her and, and vandalize her home or something like that. I'm just saying you cannot support something that at face value is on purpose against God's ways. You can love the people and not support their ass, the things that they do. I don't know why this is complex for people. We, we've turned kindness and worldly love into greater characteristics than God's kind of love and righteousness. God wouldn't go. <clears throat> Who by constant use have trained their senses to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. You leave and you go on. God, make me mature. He's trying. God can only do in your life what you consent and cooperate with. Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, number one, and of faith in God, number two, instruction about baptisms, number three, today, the laying on of hands, number four, the resurrection of the dead, to be determined, and eternal judgment. Aren't you all waiting for that one? And this we will do in Jesus' name if Steve gets there, and God permits. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God, the logos of theos. If you want to hear um, a good breakdown, I did an hour and a half teaching on Thursday about Bible translations. And so all of you that kind of wonder about Bible translations and what's the best and all that kind of stuff, I got an hour and a half teaching on it. And a lot of that teaching, or not a lot, but a, a section of that teaching was, was devoted to this particular term, word of God. The writers of the New Testament wrote Word of God, and they didn't interchange that terminology with Bible. You do that. They didn't do that. There was no Bible. They were writing it. So when they wrote Word of God, they wrote Logos of Theos. Logos, the logic. 
the deepness, the way God thinks, the way that he is. And so it's not just the Bible in your lap. The Bible in your lap is a part of the word of God, the logos of theos. <clears throat> the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and then have fallen away. Notice it's kind of a high bar for all of you that are worried about like, well, that's it, Steve's preaching this stuff and I feel like I'm damned. Okay, if you're sitting in here, you're probably not damned. There would be no desire on the inside of you to sit here and listen to me, of all people. Like, there might be some other churches you'd be fine in, but not this one. So if you're in here, you're fine. Or you could be fine. To be restored to repentance because they themselves are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to an open shame. Please note, our lifestyles reflect on him. I'm either putting him to an open shame by how I live or I'm glorifying him. I pray that you consider this the next time you want to have a flash, flesh flash. The next thing you're going to see here is a, an image, a picture. There it is. <laughs> I caught her. She was right in the middle of. If you don't recognize the beauty of this picture, that's Jenna Kay. Downs, a daughter of our house, front rowing it. And sister, you, I'm clapping for my sister. He's clapping for his sister. <laughs> Any Hooser. This is Jenna K. Downs. Uh, like a daughter to Kay and I, and this is what I commonly refer to as Big Ben. One of, one of the people downstairs that's outnumbering our numbers from five years ago. And Big Ben is bigger now. <laughs> I was wrestling with him on Sunday, and he's getting strong. And when Big Ben was born, he's not two yet, is he two? Two what? Oh, my Lord. He'll be three in June. So this is obviously a few minutes ago. This would have been after he was born. And those of you that have been paying attention, this is kind of the thing now. You lay the newborn baby on mama's chest, on her naked chest. And naked baby lays on mama's naked chest. And you might not know why. They have determined, and this has become really popular in the last five years, they've determined that there's this, this symbiotic thing that happens between mom and baby in this particular way. I mean, it's literally the chest. Like, you can't, you can't lay the baby, like, on her thigh. You can't lay it on her back. It literally is the center portion of the chest of the mother, the heart. And they, they have determined, scientifically determined, that these babies cry less, they sleep better, because they have established this bond, this, this connection with their mother by being flesh on flesh, skin on skin. Some studies have shown that their brain, the development of the brains of these children that are, uh, that are, that 
do this, that the mother and the baby do this regularly, which it's kind of normal if you think about it. For those of you that believe that breastfeeding is normal, that's how I believe that God intended for it to be. So in breastfeeding, normally what would happen is this would happen regularly, as often as the baby's hungry. They're going to lay on the mother's chest and eat. And so this would be a normal thing in a normal society where you have <laughs> breastfeeding parents, but now they've, I'm not going to go there. And the development, the early development of the cognitive ability of the babies have been proven to be better for babies that do that than ones that don't. In addition, the earlier, uh, the, these babies develop an earlier maternal, paternal, not just mommy, but mom and dad, maternal and paternal recognition. They, they know who their mama is. They know who their daddy is based upon there's a bond being formed. There's something synergistic that's happening in that moment and babies recognize their mommy and their daddy quicker and they know the strangers. If you're following me, there's a bunch of Bible verses that should be popping in your brain. My sheep know my voice. And the voice of a stranger they will not follow. This also helps the mother and the father reduce stress, have less depression and or postpartum, learn greater sensitivity to the cues that of the baby's needs. They literally get it almost like electrically. There's signals that the baby gives off that the mom picks up through these contacts and the dads pick it up too. They've proven this stuff. I'm not making this up. There is some interesting work I'm quoting from Anne Bigelow, a professor and researcher of development, developmental psychology at St. Francis Xavier University in Antigonish, Nova Scotia. Yeah. <laughs> Did I do it right? She, she's over there taking notes. Got one Canadian in the room. She didn't even correct me. That was your last chance. There is, <laughs> quoting Anne, quoting Anne, there is some interesting work showing that for mothers who have just given birth, the skin area on their chest is a degree or two higher than the rest of their body. Is that not divine? That is divine. There is no way that's accidental. That is divine that the skin area on their chest is a degree or two higher than the rest of their body, creating a natural warming area for the newborn. They have the ability to thermoregulate for the baby. If the baby's temperature drops, the mother's temperature rises. If the baby's temperature rises, the mother's temperature drops. God built this into you, moms. Your guys' chests are awesome. Amen, <laughs> Amen baby. <laughs> there seems to be a connection between mother and baby for the birthing process itself. I'm going to read to you a what's called the Harlow Classic 
study. This was a study done between 1957 and 1963. What's shocking is that is, um, that's 70 years ago, and some of you may have never even heard of this. That will tell you how jacked up our culture and our society is. They're literally keeping truth from you. You want to follow the science? Let me tell you the science. Harry Harlow did an empirical study with primates and now what is considered a classic in behavioral science, revolutionizing our understanding of the role that social relationships play in early development. In the 50s and the 60s, psychological research in the United States was dominated by behavior, now check this out, was dominated by behaviorists and psychoanalysts, yay, who supported the view that babies became attached to their mothers because only for the provided food. Yep, this is what the head shrinks are trying to do. They're trying to disconnect what God built. Now we know, 70 years later, that there's literally an, a divine thing that takes place between a baby and a mother, skin to skin. And here they were saying 70 years ago, oh, no, the only reason a baby likes their mom is because she gives them food. This is, this is what happens when you follow the wrong science. Harlow and other social and cognitive psychologists argued that this perspective overlooked the importance of comfort, companionship, and love in promoting healthy development. Shocking. Using methods, now follow, this is radical. Using methods of isolation and maternal deprivation, Harlow showed the impact of contact comfort on primate development Infant raised monkeys were taken away from their mothers and raised in a laboratory setting. With some infants placed in separate cages away from peers. In social isolation, the monkeys showed disturbed behaviors. Staring blankly, circling their cages, and engaging in self-mutilation. We have a whole generation of this. Staring blankly. Can I go for a walk nearly every day? And we'll be walking down a sidewalk and there'll be some kid dragging themselves to school in the morning. And we'll always, hi, good morning. And they'll freak out. I think they like wet themselves a little bit because we said hi. It breaks our hearts. We just, I've even said it to them. I'm like, hey, we're just saying hi. We're just, and you know, every once in a while they're like, okay, hi. Self-mutilation? This is a real thing. This is a real thing. It's biblical too. It was in the Bible. The gathering demoniac cut himself. When the isolated infants were reintroduced to the group, they were unsure of how to interact. Many stayed separate from the group, and some even died because they refused to eat. Eating disorders. 
Even without complete isolation, the infant monkeys raised without mothers developed social deficits, showing reclusive tendencies and clinging to their cloth diapers. Harlow was interested in the infant's attachment to the cloth diapers, speculating that the soft material may simulate the comfort provided by a mother's touch. Based on this observation, Harlow designed this now famous surrogate mother experiment. In this study, Harlow took infant monkeys from their biological mothers and gave them two inanimate surrogate mothers. One was a simple construction of wood and wire, and the second one was covered with foam rubber and soft terry cloth. The infants were assigned to one of the two different conditions. In the first, the wire mother had a milk bottle, and the soft mother did not. In the second, the cloth mother had the food, while the wire mother did not. In both conditions, Harlow found that the infant monkeys spent significantly more time with the terry cloth mother than they did with the wire mother. When only the wire mother had the food, the babies came to the wire mother to feed and immediately returned to the cling of the cloth surrogate. Fake mothers that were soft. Harlow's work showed the infant also turned to inanimate surrogate mothers for comfort when they faced new and scary situations. When placed in a novel environment with a surrogate mother, infant monkeys would explore the area and then run back to the surrogate mother when they got startled. Anybody ever seen kids do this? They leave the mothers that actually allow them because a lot of mothers keep the umbilical cord really tight but they'll actually kind of like launch off on them on, in their own way and then they'll go exp experiment and, and explore and look around and then something will freak them out and they'll come running back. And then the next time they go a little farther, but they know that their mom is there so that for that comfort. And then they would venture out to explore again. Without a surrogate mother, the infants were just paralyzed with fear. Huddled in a ball, sucking their thumbs. Thumb sucking. If an alarming noise-making toy was placed in the cage, an infant with a surrogate mother present would explore and even attack the toy. Without a surrogate mother, the infant would cower in fear away from the toy. Fear. Courage. Becoming a hero. Together, these studies produced groundbreaking empirical evidence for the primacy of the parent-child attachment relationship and the importance of paternal, not just maternal, but paternal touch in infant development. An isolated Christian is a defeated Christian. Notice, monkeys 
when not given the authentic, will seek out the fake. How much more in Christianity? If we don't have the authentic, we will always search out, search out the fake. One of the best thing, parents, and I'm not gonna turn this into parenting, but one of the best things, parents, you could ever do for your children is love your spouse. My son and my daughter have both grown up in a home where their father loved their mother and their mother loved their father. And because of it, they have a healthy understanding of love. In the absence of the real is the fake. If you want your teenage girl to run off and go stand on the street corner in a short skirt, then don't love her. Don't love her. Because she'll find that love somewhere else. And I help some of these girls. This is self-inflicted wounds that we should never have in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I consider it an honor to have a small place in a bunch of young people's hearts. A father figure, not a father, a father figure where I can love them and I can hug them and I can kiss them because God built them for it. And some of them, their daddies don't and won't. And their mothers don't and won't. We're not that kind of church. We believe in laying on of hands. And there's more to that than just sick people and you slapping them with oily hands in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me take this a little bit deeper. There's five times in the New Testament that we are commanded. Listen, commanded. Those of you that actually believe that God is God, listen to my words. Five times in the New Testament that we are commanded to greet one another with a holy kiss. Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. 1 Corinthians 16, 20, greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Thessalonians 5, 26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. <gasps> Hold on, I got the last one. Are you ready? 1 Peter 5, 14, greet one another with the kiss of love. One of the ways you can recognize the kingdom, at, at least in a guy, is hug them. The stiffer they get, the more they're struggling. Hey, bro, how you doing? Whoa, 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 you're going to break something. I'll let go. All the blood flowed back out of their heart because they got all sucked in the middle. You're commanded by the Bible to greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, I know you. Oh, that was, that was back then. Different culture, different time. We're not a kissing kind of culture anymore. Okay. Wh whatever, whatever you excuse, whatever you make, 
Whatever you change is changed. You get to do that. Let me ask you this. Can anybody tell me how many times in the New Testament parents are commanded to love their children? Raise your hand if you know the answer. Zero. Zero. There's not one commandment in the New Testament for parents to love their children. Five commands to greet one another with the Holy Ghost. Well, I, I mean, you, we all know, like, duh, aren't parents supposed to love their children? Yeah. Did I say don't love your children? I literally just went through a whole study of making sure that we know how important it is to give contact to, to love our children. But it doesn't just end with your kids. You know how arrogant that is? That you're gonna love your kids and damn the rest, who cares about them? Not my kid. You can sit there and suck your thumb and self-mutilate and have all the problems you want, little honey. I got my kids. I've got a million dollars invested in my kids. I chase them all over the country. I make sure they got the best technology. They've got all the, the best games. They got the best clothes. And little Johnny's over there. He ain't even got a clean pair of underwear. Well, who cares? That's not my problem. I'm not going to hug somebody else's kid. What if they don't like it? How many commands in the New Testament? Okay, are you ready? To sing. Well, there's got to be a ton of those because Ryan's good at it. You know how many churches, the, the reason people go to those churches is for the worship? Just for the worship. And you have no command in the scripture. No command in the scripture to go to church for worship. And we've turned it. This is American churchianity. If the worship's good, I'm going there. You have 2.5. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll take you there. You have 2.5 New Testament commands to sing. 2.5. The reason I say 2.5 is because the first two say that, you know, if you have... Um, when you're, when you're together, sing a, sing a psalm, you know, do something like that. Jesus sang a psalm. It wasn't commanded, but he gave us a, an example. But one of the references is James 5.13, where it says, Are any among you happy? Let him sing. In other words, it's like, if you're happy, you can just kind of do it. It's not a command. It's, it just kind of comes. So 2.5. You have twice as many, twice as many commands in the New Testament to kiss each other as you do to sing. And if you change, if you come up to this altar after this message and you try to kiss me, I am going to rebuke you. I am just, <laughs> I'm just giving this to you because we, we like the parts we like and we dump the parts we dump. 
And a lot of it has to do with our psychology, our, our sociology, and we don't realize it that our psychology and our sociology has way more to do with how we define the kingdom than the king defines the kingdom. It's his kingdom. He gets to define it. It's God's marriage covenant. He gets to define it. It's his kingdom. He gets to define it. And we're supposed to be having contact with one another. Now, for all the men in the room, I got to do this. There's such a thing as a non-sexual kiss. Because <gasps> a lot of guys don't know that. She kissed me. That was weird. She must like me. No, it's my wife. She loves you. She don't like you. <laughs> Not even this much. She barely likes me sometimes. She has zero attraction to you. She's kissing you because she loves you. Guys don't get this. We don't. We cannot hug because of love. It has to have some other things, like a bro hug. Come on, man. Come over here, get one of those. <laughs> and then it's like a wrestling match. Like, uh, uh, uh. okay, you win. Sorry, I just wanted to hug you. <laughs> Believe it or not, this is part of the doctrine of laying on of hands. Touch. We're supposed to be different than the world. You know what the world does with touch? Sex. That's what the world does. Touch is sex. It's pre-sex. It's the buildup for sex. That's it. That's the touch you get. That's what you got. We're different than the world. God built you for contact. The world built you to break it. We need to reclaim it. We need to be able to lay hands on one another. We need to be able to have my cheek touch your cheek. And the only thing that's shared is love. We need to be able to touch one another by the Spirit and not have some carnal thing happen. <laughs> and it, it, breaks my, it literally breaks my heart to have to say this. This should be so normal. Hey, men, all the women in this room except for your spouse is your sister. You having carnal thoughts about your sister is gross. Stop it. <laughs> but you have to say that. Because our society says, I'm a man, you're a woman, so the only thing I need to think towards you is dot, dot, dot. That's too bad. Because just so you know, guys, all these gals in this room have way more to offer than their body. I know a bunch of them. They're beautiful people. And gals, your husband is not a jackass that carries your stuff around. He's not. 
He's not stupid. He's not worthless. And he deserves your touch. Both kinds. The touch of affirmation, the touch of love. And the other one too. This is kingdom. I'm sorry that I got to say it should be simple. We should get this. But we've been so, we don't realize how much society has taken away from us some of the core values of what God created us for. What's it going to be like in heaven? If you, if you don't want to know what real kingdom looks like, think about the garden and think about heaven, which is the reestablishment of the garden. What's it like there? Do you hug? Yeah. And it's not weird. The most numerous aspect biblically of the laying on of hands is commissioning, which has a bunch of different terminology, commissioning, ordaining, confirming someone in ministry. Why hands? Think about it. Why can't I just command, Scott Downs, thou art now a minister of the gospel. Go and minister. Why is ordination, why is commissioning, why is us separating someone into the ministry have to do with gathering around him and laying hands on him, touching him? Because the way God starts a thing is the way the thing's supposed to be. We start with touch. And we shouldn't ever take it out. The reason that a lot of people are sick and dying in our world today is because the Christians won't touch them. Most denominations, hear my words, beloved, most denominations do not believe in laying hands on the sick for them to recover. So why would you touch a sick person? So you know what the sick person gets? The exact opposite thing they need, human contact. Why do you think the pandemic did what they did the last four years? Stay in the basement and be scared of a virus that's gonna get you. How many people died because of the words, not a virus, they died because they isolated without human contact and they lived in fear and they died. We're going to touch people. They're going to pull that clip out. All my haters are going to pull that clip out. We're going to lay hands on people. Well, what if they don't get healed? What if they do? What if they do? Well, what if they don't? <laughs> what if they do? What's more important? 
You know, if you're going to practice on discerning good and evil, why don't you practice on laying hands on the sick? Why don't you practice on uh, laying hands on your spouse, laying hands on your children? Amen. In a godly way, in a kingdom way. Why do people have to beg for some kind of human contact or human interaction? We have a whole generation that are sitting in their basement with headphones on, playing games with unknown people in unknown places, and they're their best friends. It's their best friends. Well, my best friend is Frank in Tennessee that I game with. What's he look like? I don't know. How old is he? I don't know. What's he like? I don't know. He shoots a mean gun, though. We've relegated society down to digital contact, and we actually think this is a thing. They did online church, and the preachers and the Christians were all for it. You mean I don't have to take a shower? I don't have to get up? I can watch it on replay? I don't have to give as much money. I don't have to show up and deal with those stank Christians. This is awesome. And the preacher said it too, so I'm not picking on the people. The preacher, I have, I have multiple friends that said, this is awesome. I'm making 80 grand a year sitting on my couch. I've had them tell me that. My first thing is like, you make 80,000 <laughs> Numbers 27, 18 through 20, and the Lord replied to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man with the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Why didn't he tell him? Just, just tell Joshua, he's in charge now. You're awesome. Here's your certificate. 19, have him stand before Eleazar, who's the high priest and the whole congregation and commission him in their sight. Touch him. You know the word lay hands on and the word commission in those two verses are interchangeable? Verse 20, confer on him some of your authority. Now we just made this a three-word parallel. The word, the words lay on hand, lay hands on, the word commission, and now the word confer on him are all interchangeable. You could take that term and flip it around and put it in one of those three verses, and it's exactly what God said. When we lay hands on, we are conferring something. When I lay hands on a sick person, what I am confirming and conferring is that I disagree with sickness. I call you healed. When I hug the lonely person that comes to beloved church, I cried in public three years ago. I was standing out front while we were still under the microscope of all the haters, greeting people like I do every Sunday. And a random dude came to visit the church that was open in the pandemic and walked down the sidewalk. I didn't know him, he didn't know me. I said, hi, 
He said, hi, and I hugged him. And he was not okay with it. So I got done hugging him, so I hugged him a little longer. <laughs> I got done hugging him, and I stood back, and he had a single tear going down his eye. And I looked at him, and he said, that's the first time any other human has touched me in one year. So I hugged him again. <laughs> one year. That's what society wants to do to you. Acts 13, 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, just say fasting. It's like Mufasa. Fasting. <laughs> Don't say it anymore. Did we get redeemed from that in the New Testament? This is Acts. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart. Set apart for me. For me. Man, isn't that awesome? God said, you know what I want? I want Bob and Allie May. Set Bob and Allie May apart for me. They're my part. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I, notice the tense, have called them. If I bring Scott up here and ordain him into the ministry, I'm not putting him in the ministry. I am agreeing that God has already determined that he should be in ministry. God is the one that sets people apart. God is the one that calls. God is the one that anoints. God is the one that appoints. Me and you agree. And then give the public declaration of that calling in that person's life. I'm not the one that made Scott the minister. I'm the one that's telling you that God made him. And after they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 1 Timothy 4.14. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Now check this out. Which was given you through the prophecy spoken over you at the laying on of the hands of the elders. Something got into Timothy by word and touch. What? We can't do it because this, I mean, nothing's happening. It's just, it's just my skin, my epidermis. Thank you, I was going to get there. Epidermis. medical people. <laughs> it's my epidermis touching your epidermis. Yeah, it's, it's just like the babies in 1950 that the only reason they love their mom is because she's got milk. Or maybe there's something more. Maybe something is being given. Maybe there's a transference. Maybe there's an actual gift. Right. A gift of God 
that's being implanted and imparted into a person that Paul can write years later and say, Timothy, you know that gift that got put in you by word and touch? Stir that sucker up, buddy. Stir it up. And I could preach on why did Timothy let the gift be unstirred. But we all have been there. We've all let the stuff settle to the bottom and someone needs to shake you. And that's why you're at Beloved Church. Under the tutelage of Pastor Steve Castle. Numbers 8, not good redemption. Numbers 8, 9 through 11, and verse 14. Bring the Levites before the tent of meeting. Now it's the whole Levites. It's a twelfth of the entire nation of Israel. Before the tent of meeting and assemble the whole congregation. Let the whole church watch what you're about to do. The word congregation in the Old Testament, in the Greek, is the word ekklesia, which is where we get our English word church. Anytime you see congregation in the Old Testament, if you were reading in the Septuagint in the Greek, it would say ekklesia. God calls a congregation a church. God calls a church a congregation. If you're not in the congregation, you're not in the church. Take that. And assemble the whole congregation of Israel. You are to present the Levites before the Lord and have the Israelites lay their hands upon them. Woo! This would have been a process. All the Levites get hands laid on them by all of Israel. God. Is there not like a McDonald's fast food microwave way to do this? I wonder, why did God make it so complicated? Like, this is so tedious, God. Why can't we just do the easy thing? You want me to be at church for like days? And touch people. Some of these people haven't showered. They're living in the desert. And there's no running water, except for the water that came out of the rock. You'll catch that later. Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering. Aaron doesn't have to touch them. He just gets to wave them. Yeah, that's good. Aaron is to present, as Pastor Steve, I don't have to touch all y'all. I can just, you're good. But you got to touch each other. Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the sons of Israel so that they may perform the service of the Lord. Verse 14, in this way, in this way, you shall separate the Levites from the rest of the Israelites, and the Levites will belong to me. Okay, New Testament doctrinal scholars, who are the Levites in the New Testament? You are the royal priesthood. So how is God going to separate you from the rest of the world? By having you be touched. Ugh. Someone's got to touch me. Yep. Waters of baptism. You know, normally in baptism waters, you're going to be half naked. And someone's going to touch you. There's going to be skin on skin. You're going to go down in water and die. And be raised in newness of life. It's funny how all these parts of the kingdom have to do with touch. And we just go on past this. Well, I'm in the spirit. I don't have to touch nobody. Well, God bless you. Another thing that happens by the laying on of hands is people are blessed. Does anybody in here want to bless people? Mark 10, 16. And he, Jesus, 
You know the Christ in Christianity? Jesus took the children in his arms. You know what my vision of this is? And he put those children on his chest. That place that God built for paternal people with their children. And he took these children in his arms and he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Go read these verses later in your spare time. You'll find out the disciples were trying to stop it from happening. Religious people will stop you from touching. Taste not, touch not, handle not. The kingdom will bring you to touching. When Israel blessed Manasseh and Ephraim, in Genesis chapter 48, some of you are probably there in your Bible reading. Are you at 48 yet? Who's reading the Bible in a year? God bless you guys. Awesome. What, where are you at? 42? Leviticus. Oh, Leviticus. Woohoo! So then you'll remember this story. The rest of you, read your Bible. <laughs> Genesis 48, verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father had placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased and took his father's hand because Israel went, Jacob, Israel, same person. He laid his hands on Manasseh and Ephraim and he crossed his hands. And so Joseph is like, Dad, you're, you're old and senile and blind. What's wrong with you? And so Joseph came up to untwist God, Dad's hands. Why does it even matter? We read stories like this. We don't even cognitively put the pieces together. Why does it matter? He's got a hand on a kid's head. And he's got another hand on another kid's head. Who cares? God cares. It matters. 18. Not so, my father, Joseph said. This one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. <laughs> but his father refused. I know. You're not the only one that says it. <laughs> I know, my son, I know. <laughs> he said it twice. I know, I know. He too shall become a people, and he too shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. His right hand being on his head was a sign that he was going to be greater. Does anybody know where we are seated in heavenly places? Verse 20. So that day... Jacob blessed them. If you read this story, his blessing wasn't in word. It was this touch. He conferred a blessing on them by touch. Well, I thought the blessing has to be spoken. It does, unless it doesn't. Transference is another thing that happens in the laying on of hands. Acts chapter 9, verse 10, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. This is one of my favorite stories, and I'm not going to preach on this because I have to go real fast, but I love this. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, Ananias! 
And he answered, here I am. Let me ask you this. If God showed up to you and just said your name, would your next response be, here I am, what do you need? Anything you need. Verse 11, get up, exclamation point. Well, see, God doesn't talk to me like that. God's always like, please and thank you, and he's super soft, and he tells me about how pretty my hair is first. And then he'll ask me to do something really easy. Well, the God of the Bible, not, maybe not your God, but the God of the Bible said, get up! <laughs> Guess what Ananias did? Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask him, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. There is so much going on here that I am resisting to preach. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come. <laughs> he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. He's seen in a vision while he's praying that there's going to be a guy named Ananias who's going to just walk in the house and lay hands on him. And that's how he's going to get his sight back. This is flying in the face of most all of your doctrines. I'm sorry. I didn't write it. God wrote it. Why did he have to touch him? Why couldn't God just say, Saul, Saul. He did it to Ananias, Ananias, yes, Lord. Why couldn't he just do Saul, yes, Lord? Your eyes are open. Thanks. Peace out. Good stuff to do. Why to go through all of this? Call Ananias, Ananias, give him a thing to do. He's got to go way over to Straight Street. Who knows how far that was? And then he's got to go over there and touch the guy. God, you are making things so complicated. Or maybe there's a reason. Maybe God knows something about the laying on of hands that we don't. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 17, so Ananias went to the house, and when he arrived, he placed his hands on Saul. <laughs> Shocking. Brother Saul, he said, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Bonus. Gets to see and gets the Holy Spirit. By the laying on of hands. Verse 18. At that instant, not the instant before, and when Ananias came through the door, the Spirit of God blew through there like fiery wind and everybody got nuked and fell out on the floor and bark like a dog. At that instant, that instant, what instant? When he touched him. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. The physical touch produced a physical result, and his sight was restored, and he got up and was baptized. This is so important that Timothy was charged by Paul, don't do it wrong. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22 do not, anybody know what that means? Do not be too quick in the laying on of hands. <laughs> what? I was tracking with you, pastor. I, I was about to go lay hands on everybody. <clears throat> this is a, an, 
a commissioning. This is a transference. Don't be so quick to do that for the wrong folk because then you'll share in their sins. Keep yourself pure. Oh. So what? So go touch everybody, don't touch everybody. Yes. I guess you need the Holy Spirit, sorry. The only way to do Christianity is with the Holy Spirit. If, if you touch somebody trying to accomplish something wrong with a person who's wrong, you're gonna get their wrong. This is why the Bible talks about um, sexual purity. When you're touching people that you shouldn't be touching in ways you shouldn't be touching them, for purposes you shouldn't be touching them, there's a transference. You get stuff, and it's not just STDs. There's other stuff you get. Keep yourself pure. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 21 and 22. <clears throat> the Levitical priests laid their hands on the offerings. This is weird. They're touching goats now. There is a specific goat called Azazel, who was called the scapegoat. If you've never heard Doc Ryan preach on Azazel, please go look him up on Expedition 44. He's got a great message on Azazel. Leviticus chapter 16, 21 and 22. Then he, the priest, is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat, the Azazel, and confess over it all the iniquities and the rebellious acts of the Israelites in regard to all their sins. He is to put them on the goat's head. He's put them on the goat's head. Put them what? Put them what? He is to put them on the goat's heads. Them what? Them sins and them hands. It's them both. Now, look. I was tracking with you, preacher, the whole you know, non-sexual hug thing. I, I'm with you. I get it. Working on it. But wait, what? You can put sins on folks by laying hands on them? You think Satan don't know this? <laughs> He's been doing this to humans for a long time. All witchcraft has something to do with this right here. The occult knows this better than the church. And he... And he's to put them, the sins, and his hands on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their iniquities into a solitary place and the man will be released, will release it into the wilderness. <clears throat> the wilderness is like hell and the goat was Jesus. He was the scapegoat. All of our sins were laid on him and he became our sacrifice. There is so much going on here. There's an hour's worth of messaging here. But all of this is, at, is imperative for you to understand the New Testament. You do not have a clue what Jesus did if you do not understand this at all. Jesus transferred consecration. The word consecration means to be cleansed and dedicated for sacred use. Matthew 8, 2 and 3. Suddenly, a leper came and knelt before him. A leper. What's a leper? Someone you don't want to touch. 
It's like a person with COVID, except it's real. <laughs> Suddenly a leper came and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the modern progressive churchianity preacher said, whoa, you should call 911. You need an epid... Well, you don't have that one, do you? Yeah. You need a cream. Leprosy looking all nappy. I'm not going to touch that. Man, I can touch that. That'll get on me. Look at all the things Jesus didn't say. Most of the things Jesus didn't say, most of us have said. I'm not picking up that Kleenex. Somebody probably blew their nose in it. Whoops. I'm sorry, did I just make that relative to today? I do. Well, I'm not going to clean the bathroom. You know what people do in there? Yeah, same thing they do in your bathroom. Which is what you do in your bathroom. I've cleaned the bathrooms at Beloved Church. I've picked up your... Kleenexes at Beloved Church. I've picked up your toenails or fingernails or both that somebody snips while they're listening to me preach. Whatever. If that keeps you awake, keep snipping. But dear Jesus, <laughs> I'm either so anointed I'm making your stuff grow or that's weird. <laughs> Three, Jesus reached out his hand and touched it. Jesus, don't you know there's easier ways to heal people? Why don't you just speak the word only? Jesus, why don't you do like Paul and just lay your hands on napkins and send them? Jesus, why don't you have your disciples touch them? Because if they got it, then, you know, just get you new disciples. <laughs> They're like replaceable. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, said, I'm willing, be clean. And immediately, immediately when? Immediately. When he touched him. Receiving the Holy Spirit, Acts 8, 16 and 17, and 20 and 23. For the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon any of them. This is the brand new church that was just started in Samaria, which were partial Gentiles, and had not yet fallen upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. We talked about baptism, so hopefully you understand that. There's a different baptism being in the name of the Lord Jesus and a different baptism of being in, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Two different baptisms. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them. They, they got the Holy Spirit by touch. But I thought it was a spirit. Yep. So they got spirit by touch? Yep. Verse 20, Peter replied, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of, the, of God with money. You have no part or share in our ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for the intent of your heart for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and captive to iniquity. All of that rebuke by Peter was to Simeon, Simon, who wanted to buy the ability to lay hands on and give the Holy Spirit. You, you know what that means? 
The power of laying hands on and people receiving the Spirit of God was so pronounced that this dude wanted to buy the ability. You have it for free and barely use it. Acts 19, 5 and 6. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 6. And then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Maybe that's why people don't want hands on them. I don't want none of that tongue stuff. Weird. Okay. How about prophecy? I love prophecy. How about tongues? No, weird. Okay, they're the same. Healing and miracles. Mark 5, 22. 23, a synagogue leader named Jairus arrived and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. A synagogue leader, a Jew, a religious Jew. And verse 23, and pleaded with him, Jesus, so Jairus was pleading with Jesus, urgently, my little daughter is about to die. Please come touch her. Jairus knew something that most Christians don't. Jairus the Jew knew something most Christians don't, is that in the touch of Jesus, there was power. When you figure out in the touch of you there's power, the whole world is about to change. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 32 and 35, when Elisha reached the house, where there was a dead kid that was the son of the Shunammite woman, there was the boy laying dead in his bed. So he, Elisha, went in, closed the door behind him, and prayed. Then Elisha, verse 34, got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand, as he stretched himself over him. The, body's bo the boy's body became warm. What, what? This sounds just like the Harlow experiment we just talked about at the beginning of this message. He literally did something that we didn't find out until 1950. He released the life of God to a dead boy by doing what we just figured out in science is done between mom and baby. It's like God's smarter than people. Elisha turned away and paced back and forth across the room. Then he got on the bed and stretched himself over the boy again. And the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. I can go there, but I'm not. So if you're worried, seven times. That'll be the next Q&A. Why did the boy sneeze? Okay. <laughs> Number six, 22 and 27. This is the high priestly blessing. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how, this is how, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Then, verse 27, so... In this way shall they put my name on the Israelites. If you're not tracking, this is how God lays hands on. 
because God's a spirit. Spirits can't touch. So the way they do it is by touching through other people. The way demons get to you is by other people. The way God gets to you is by other people. Humanity was started with the hands and the breath of God. Genesis 2, 7, and the Lord God formed man. 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 Mankind was created by the laying on of hands of the Father. From the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. We were formed by his hands and animated by his breath. The believer's eternity starts with the breath and is finalized by the hands. So this is called a chiasm. A chiasm is, I'm not going to go there. I ain't got time. But the way it worked in the beginning was God took the dirt, God took the, the waste part, and he formed it with his hands and turned it into a man and then gave him the life. The fall, humanity's broken. The reverse, John chapter 20, verses 21. Then Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so also I'm sending you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it's withheld. In the beginning, God makes man and breathes him into existence. And then we fall into non-existence, and then Jesus comes back and he breathes into us our existence, and then guess what happens one day in the sweet by and by? God reforms your clay. Clay, breath, breath, and then clay. Revelation 21, 3 through 5, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, you, of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How does God wipe tears from your eyes? Hands. You're going to have the hands of God touch your flesh. Once again, just like in the garden. And there will be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. God's touch makes new. Your touch can make people new. Don't disregard this foundational principle of the New Testament just because the world has broken it. Redeem it, beloved. Reclaim it, beloved. Take it back. We're in God's image. We should live our lives the way God has created us to live. Please rise. Let me bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. 
You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.